Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, an oral history of pro and college football. This episode, Dave Wilcox, a linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers and Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast an oral history of pro and college football. This podcast extends from the book, The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, published by the University of Nebraska Press. My name is Jackson Michael, and I was very grateful to have a chance to interview Dave Wilcox for this episode. He's a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2000, He played 11 NFL seasons as a linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers drafted him in the third round of the 1964 NFL draft out of the University of Oregon. His college teammate Mel Renfro was also selected in that draft. That's two Hall of Famers coming from the same college team. Dave Wilcox will share some fun stories about that as well as those San Francisco 49ers of the late 1960s and early 1970s under head coach Dick Nolan. Wilcox also has a great story about attending the 1960 NFL championship game between the Eagles and Packers. His brother was a member of that 1960 world champion Philadelphia Eagles team. Like most of us, Wilcox grew up a big sports fan, so we're not only going to get a player's view of some great NFL moments, but we'll also hear some memories of Dave Wilcox, the fan, as well. He'll also tell us a story about another Hall of Famer that he's known since that player was a kid growing up in the Bay Area. Dave Wilcox grew up in Eastern Oregon, He says the family listened to sports on the radio before getting their first television set. The family got that TV just in time to watch the famous 1958 NFL championship game between the Colts and Giants. We used to listen to the baseball games on the radio. And I was like a Yankee fan because that's what we got a lot of. We didn't have a television when I was growing up. So we listened to the Indianapolis 500 on the radio. And I remember the Giants and the Colts. That game was on TV, and we'd get it from Boise. When we first got a TV in 1958, we must have hit the mother load because we got a television and we got a party telephone at the same time. Wilcox tells us that he didn't get the opportunity to play organized football until high school. I grew up in eastern Oregon on the Oregon-Idaho border on a farm. I had some older brothers that played football in high school, and my grade school I went to, there was eight kids in my eighth grade class, so we didn't have football in grade school. But in high school, our team was pretty good in the 50s and 60s. We won about four or five state championships, finished second once. Uh, fourth one, so it was pretty good. We actually grew up wanting to play football because that way we didn't have to get home from school or do all the chores. (laughs) (laughs) Dave added that football didn't get him out of doing any chores. 
It simply delayed the work. That's life on the farm. And Wilcox said that he was thankful to grow up in that environment. The life not only cultivated a solid work ethic, but it also upped his strength for football. Our workouts were lifting bales of hay and doing stuff like that. I don't think we had weights at the school. Wilcox attended Vail High School in Vail, Oregon. He said that although his high school graduating class was about 80 people, the school's football team was a state powerhouse. My freshman year, we finished fourth, I believe it was. And my sophomore year, we won the state championship. My junior year, we won the state championship. My senior year, we got beat in the final game. We were pretty good. Wilcox's high school junior season was 1958. In 2019, OregonLive.com, the website for the newspaper The Oregonian, named those 1958 Vail Vikings as one of the top 10 most dominant football teams in Oregon state history. A few other Vail teams also made the top 25 list, including teams that either Dave or his older brother John played on. Dave Wilcox had several universities interested in his football skills. He runs down a list of some of his options. Well, I had offers out of high school to go to Utah, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington. I had some feelers from USC and Arizona and all over the place. Wilcox's older brother, John, gave him some guidance based on his own experience. John Wilcox attended both Oregon and Boise Junior College, which is now known as Boise State. I had an older brother, John, who was four years older than I am. His first year, he went to University of Oregon and went for one term and then transferred to Boise after the first term at Oregon. And he told me that, you know, you might want to think about going to Boise because going from Vail, Oregon, like we lived uh, 10 miles out of town, and going from there to Eugene, Oregon was a major change. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> and he says, you know, you just might think about going to Boise Junior College because they'll kind of, you know, give you a step and then go to Oregon. Wilcox said that the Boise State offense was a single wing type at the time. He played tight end on offense and defensive end on defense, playing 60 minutes both ways back then at what was called Boise Junior College. Turns out Boise's program had a personal connection to the University of Oregon, and that was a link in the chain for the Wilcox brothers to move between the two schools. A guy named Lyle Smith was a coach at Boise when I was there, and my brother and a younger brother also. And him and a guy named Lynn Casanova, who was a coach at Oregon, were in the military together way back before the Korean War. They knew each other, and they took care of each other. So it was good for me to go to Boise. You know, just kind of an easy step, if you would. Dave's older brother, John Wilcox, played in the 1958 Rose Bowl for Oregon. He also played for the Philadelphia Eagles on their 1960 NFL championship team. The Eagles defeated the Packers 17-13, and Dave got to attend that game as a guest of his brother, John, and he shares that story with us now. He sent me a plane ticket to 
come back to the championship game. They played Green Bay and Franklin Field in Philadelphia uh, for the championship game, and he paid my way back there, and I think I was there two days, went to the game. He was like a backup offensive tackle on a backup defensive lineman. He was 6'5", weighed about 240. Norm Van Brocklin was a coach of the Eagles at that time, an Oregon guy. But anyhow, after the game, we left, and he had a friend that lived in West Virginia or something, and we drove over there, and then from there, we drove all the way back to Oregon, and that's the reason I went back there to help him drive home. This is a good time to mention why this project is called The Game Before the Money, for those of you who might not already know. Pro football wasn't always the big-time money profession that it is today. Most players held jobs in the offseason to support their families and to build careers outside of football. And that was true even in the 1970s and 1980s. Dave Wilcox is going to give us a fun example of his brother's salary at the time and how winning that 1960 NFL championship game with the Eagles wasn't just a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It also brought a healthier paycheck than usual. He got drafted by the Eagles, and he just played one year. And I think his salary was like $4,000 or something. And they won the championship, and he got a bonus check for 4500 So he made more in one game than he did the whole season. <laughs> Dave's first season at the University of Oregon was 1962. At that time, Oregon was an independent. The Ducks spent five years as an independent from 1959 through 1963. Dating back to 1916, all of the other years that the Ducks have played, they've been affiliated with what is now the Pac-12 Conference. But for the first five seasons that that conference was known as the Athletic Association of Western Universities, Oregon played as an independent. Several of their opponents were still traditional Pacific Coast Conference schools, but Wilcox says Oregon played a robust schedule against teams from across the country. When I was at Oregon, we weren't in any conference or anything, but we opened my first year at Oregon. We went to uh, Texas to play University of Texas. Played the um, opening game, and then my two years at Oregon, we played Texas. We played Ohio State back in Ohio State. We played West Virginia back in West Virginia. We played Rice in Houston, Texas. We played Indiana in Portland, and we played Penn State in Portland. I don't know who made the schedule, but they, <laughs> they, I guess they wanted us to play teams all over the country, and we did, and we weren't too bad. In Ohio State, I'll never forget that because we went out to warm up on the field and we had to be on the one corner of the end zone because there wasn't room for us. They had so many players, they took up the whole field to warm up. The Oregon-Oregon State rivalry remained in full swing. The teams played on the final week of the 1962 season in Corvallis and Wilcox remembers a big play he made against that year's Heisman Trophy winner. I believe we played up in Corvallis, and Terry Baker there again, he was a Heisman winner that year, I believe. I remember he also punted, and I blocked one of his punts. 
Terry was an unbelievable athlete. He played basketball and football and was a baseball pitcher. Terry Baker was the 1962 Heisman Trophy winner and Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year. You can learn more about him and hear some of his remarkable stories on the Terry Baker episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. That is episode number five of the podcast, which you can find at thegamebeforethemoney.com or on your favorite podcast app. Oregon State won that 1962 game against Oregon by three points, but Wilcox and the Ducks earned revenge in 1963 with a 31-14 win at home in Eugene. 1963 was Wilcox's senior season. He said his role changed a bit his senior year. We didn't have any linemen. They wanted to know if I could play guard. And I says, well, I can play guard, uh, but I need to play defensive end. And they, they said, okay, we'll let you do that. So that was fine. But and back then, you played both ways. Then down on kickoffs, punts, did everything. As I said at the top of the show, one of Wilcox's teammates at Oregon also made the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Mel Renfro. Wilcox talks about Renfro's extraordinary athletic ability and what it was like to play with him. Mel, to me, was a great athlete, unbelievable. He ran uh, hurdles and track. He long jumped and in football. Main thing was when we were on offense to give Mel the ball and get out of his way and don't screw him up. And there again, he ran the high hurdles and track. And that's when the Bill Bowerman track thing at Oregon was just going like crazy. Both Dave Wilcox and Mel Renfro were drafted in the 1964 NFL Draft. Remember, that was during a time when the NFL and the AFL competed with each other for draft picks, as many players were drafted by both leagues. Scouts from both leagues went through a lot of shenanigans to keep their players away from signing with the rival league. Wilcox tells us a story of how the NFL tried to keep him and Renfro away from AFL scouts. The 1964 draft was held in December of 1963. Franklin Muley, who owned part of the 49ers, he owned the Warriors. Him and a guy named Red Hickey who had been fired as a coach, they came to Eugene, Oregon, and told uh, Mel Renfro and myself that they would buy us lunch. So they took us to this hotel, uh, the Eugene Hotel, uh, so we wouldn't talk to anybody in the American League. And Dallas was their, their time to draft, and they took forever and Mel got tired of waiting and left and got in his car and drove back to Portland <laughs> and then they drafted him and I was a, like the 29th player drafted in the NFL. I got drafted by the 49ers. I went back to the dorm and the dorm counselor or whoever it was gave me a phone number and says here the Houston Oilers called you on the payphone here at in the dorm and you're supposed to call them back. But we couldn't sign or anything because we were playing in the Sun Bowl. We played SMU in the Sun Bowl. 
Head coach Len Casanova's Oregon squad defeated SMU 21-14, powered by two touchdown passes by Oregon quarterback Bob Barry. Incredibly, the Sun Bowl wasn't the only game that Dave Wilcox played that week. He played in the Hula Bowl in Hawaii just a few days later. Uh, after the Sun Bowl game, I got on the plane with Lynn Casanova and a guy named Milk Kanehi, who played at Oregon, and myself, and Larry Hill, who's also played at Oregon. Anyhow, we got on the plane, this is New Year's Eve, and we fly to Honolulu because we're selected to play in the Hula Bowl game. So we fly over there, get there, go to practice Wednesday, and John McKay was coaching the team. And uh, he says, okay, I don't want you guys running because you've been working out, so just stand over there and stuff. It's okay. So that was, I believe it was on Wednesday, and then we practiced the next day or two, and then we played in the game, and uh, I intercepted a pass on the game and was the defensive player of the game. And right after the game, we got on a plane turned around and flew back to Oregon. So it was an interesting challenge. Dave Wilcox wasn't the only future Hall of Famer playing in that 1964 Hula Bowl game. Carl Eller, Paul Krause, Paul Warfield, and Charlie Taylor are also listed on the rosters in the 1964 Hula Bowl program. Dave said that he even has a picture of himself with Carl Eller and Paul Krause from that Hula Bowl. Wilcox added that Mel Renfro missed both the Hula Bowl and the Sun Bowl because of an injury. Dave Wilcox had a choice to play for the San Francisco 49ers or the Houston Oilers as both teams selected him in their respective league drafts. He said that Oregon head coach Len Casanova helped influence his decision, although part of the choice is tied to a neat story dating back to Wilcox's time at Boise State. Lynn Casanova, like I said, knew Franklin Muley, who went to school at Oregon, and he kind of knew about the 49ers, and we didn't heard about the 49ers, you know, Hawaii, Tittle, and when I was at Boise Junior College, there were these two guys that played basketball at the College of Idaho. One guy's name was Elgin Baylor, who later transferred to Seattle. And the other guy's name was a guy named R.C. Owens, who also played football. And R.C. was with the 49ers. So we kind of followed them, I guess, maybe. But um, anyhow, when to sign with the 49ers, you know, I talked to Lynn Casanova. He told me he thought it would be best if I stayed out on the West Coast and go play with the 49ers and, you know, call uh, Houston and tell them thank you. And I did that. The 1964 San Francisco 49ers were coached by Jack Christensen, the Hall of Fame defensive back who played for the Detroit Lions his entire career. To put things into perspective, the 49ers franchise was younger than 20 years old at the time. The team started in 1946 as a member of the All-American Football Conference, otherwise known as the AAFC. The 49ers finished 2-12 in 1963, and the team selected Dave in the third round, and draft picks had a solid chance to make that starting lineup immediately. 
San Francisco took receiver Dave Parks with the first overall pick in the draft, and Parks immediately netted over 900 yards receiving in 1964. Dave Wilcox also earned a starting role at outside linebacker. He says it was an easy adjustment switching from the defensive end position he played in college. A linebacker in pro ball was similar to a defensive end in my college days. I didn't want to be a defensive lineman because those guys are too big and mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to stand up and I wanted to keep everything in front of me so I could see it. Wilcox's NFL career got off to a solid start in his rookie season of 1964. His first NFL interception came off one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, Johnny Unitas. Dave recalls the play for us and says that Colts head coach Don Shula didn't appreciate the young linebacker intercepting his star quarterback. Yeah. I remember, and I think it was in front of their bench, where I got tackled or ran out of bounds or something. And I remember Don Shula was a coach, and I ended up by him, and he used some real bad words about me. And I said, Coach, I don't think my mom would like those words you're saying to me, or something like that. That game was in Baltimore. The powerful Colts overcame Dave's interception and won 37-7. Wilcox shared another memory of what it was like to play against the Colts in Baltimore, and this story literally adds insult to injury. When I was first started in San Francisco, we played the Colts back there, and uh, the horse would run around the track after they score a touchdown. And one of our guys got hurt, and the doctor had him laying on the ground there. And here they score a touchdown, the horse steps on the guy. The 1964 San Francisco 49ers finished the season with a 4-10 record. The team's year included a very famous moment in NFL history, however, and it was a moment that went the 49ers' way. San Francisco's Billy Kilmer fumbled the ball, and Minnesota Vikings defensive lineman Jim Marshall infamously recovered the fumble and returned it the wrong way into the end zone for a 49ers safety. Wilcox remembers that game well enough to have remembered that the Vikings' Carl Eller scored a touchdown on a fumble recovery just before that. You can read Carl Eller's memory of that game and of that play in the book The Game Before the Money, which is available on Amazon.com. Right now, Dave Wilcox is going to share with us his memory of Marshall's wrong way run from a 49ers perspective. So Marshall picks it up, starts running, and everybody stops except Bruce Bosley, who is their center. He's chasing him, not to get him to drop the ball, but to congratulate him for scoring the safety for him. The Vikings ended up winning that game 27-22. The game was played in San Francisco at Kizar Stadium, which was the 49ers' home field before the team moved into famous Candlestick Park for the 1971 NFL season. Kizar was home to the 49ers, dating back to the 1940s and the AAFC, 
Wilcox shares with us a few memories about Kizar Stadium. Oh, it was incredible. There was a long tunnel that went down to the field from the dressing rooms. And early in the year, it'd be all dusty down there. So you'd stay in the tunnel while they introduce them, and guys are coughing and squeezing. And then after the game, depending on what kind of game that John Brody had, people would throw stuff at him when you're leaving the game, and they had to put a fence up over the top of the tunnel so that people couldn't throw their beer cans and stuff at John. You never wanted to go off the field with Brody, whether you won or not, because somebody was going to throw stuff at him. And once again, I'll note, the 49ers finished Wilcox's rookie season of 1964 with a 4-10 record under head coach Jack Christensen and quarterback John Brody. Wilcox already started proving his worth at linebacker. By the 1965 season, he was a full-time starter and San Francisco collected a winning record of 7-6-1. The team enjoyed a four-game win streak late in the season. And then San Francisco played their second-to-last game of 1965 at Wrigley Field in Chicago against the Chicago Bears and rookie running back Gale Sayers. You know, we we laugh about this all the time. I don't know if the coaches didn't like us or what, but I played in a game in Chicago and Wrigley Field on the infield dirt and mud, I should say, when a guy named Gale Sayers scored six touchdowns. And I remember in our practices and stuff, I said, okay, now when Sayers run this, I want you to do that. And I'm going, right. when Sayers does whatever he wants to do, we, I mean, that's, we can't do anything to stop him. Gail Sayers' six touchdowns in one game remains tied as an NFL record for most touchdowns in one game. As of the start of the 2021 season, he's tied with Ernie Nevers, Dub Jones, and now Alvin Kamara, who tied that record in 2020. You can hear Dub Jones speak about his six-touchdown game in 1951 on the Game Before the Money podcast featuring Dub Jones. That is episode number 17. Wilcox said he made light of Gale Sayers' six-touchdown day when the two players met each other at the Pro Bowl that season. I think it was that same year I got to go to the Pro Bowl, and I remember walking into the locker room for the first time, and Gail Sayers was on our team, and I walked in to get my ankles taped, and Gail Sayers is sitting on the table waiting to get his ankles taped. I said, Gail, my name's Dave Wilcox. I'd like to introduce myself. Uh, I never got to see you close up before. And just wanted to see what you looked like, because on the field, you couldn't get close to it. So there you have it from Hall of Fame linebacker Dave Wilcox about the only way for a defensive player to catch up to Gale Sayers is in the locker room at the Pro Bowl. Wilcox made seven Pro Bowls in his illustrious career that led him to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He isn't the only future Hall of Famer around the 49ers at that time. In fact, One future Hall of Famer was a youngster working as a ball boy for the team. Wilcox fills us in. There's a young guy who was kind of a pain in the butt uh, who was a water boy and had a bucket with dippers and stuff in it. His name was Dan Fouts. Fouts told me he's the only pro football Hall of Fame ball boy. 
Many of you Bay Area listeners might remember Bob Fouts and Lon Simmons as radio announcers for the 49ers. Bob Fouts is Dan Fouts's father. Dan Fouts also was a camp counselor at a football camp that Dave Wilcox was affiliated with, and so was Ahmad Rashad. Lynn Swan was also part of that camp, as was Danny Ainge, who ended up playing both Major League Baseball and in the NBA. You could put together a winning team just from the future pro stars in that football camp. It's pretty amazing that all of those paths crossed Now, the San Francisco 49ers posted lackluster records early in Wilcox's career, spent a couple of years hovering around the 500 mark as well. The team improved under head coach Dick Nolan, who took over in 1968. Dick Nolan's staff came in and changed things and, you know, your whole scheme of stuff and had some really good athletes, uh, you know, Gene Washington, a receiver and and I think John David Crow came about that time. They traded and got him as a running back. The defensive guys, we had Jimmy Johnson. And I think it was a year or two later when Cedric Hardman and Tommy Hart and those defensive ends kind of came along. Jimmy Johnson is a Hall of Fame defensive back who played for the 49ers from 1961 through 1976. He is not the same Jimmy Johnson who coached the Dallas Cowboys. Wilcox said that his teammate, Jimmy Johnson, was a type of player who we might call a shutdown corner in today's game. He would focus, and the rest of the defensive guys, we knew if there was changes of defense and stuff, we didn't have to worry about Jimmy. Just let him go cover the guy. We'd we'd take care of everything else because we didn't want to mess with his focus and concentration. Oh, he is a great athlete. The 49ers won their first ever division championship in 1970. Despite the 49ers' great history of having the million-dollar backfield in the 1950s and rosters dotted with notable stars throughout the 1960s, 1970 brought San Francisco football fans their first ever division title, including their time in the AAFC. The 49ers won three straight division titles under Dick Nolan in 1970, 71, and 72. As of the start of the 2021 season, only one 49ers head coach has won more than three straight division titles, and that coach is, any guesses? George Seifert. Seifert won four straight division titles, Bill Walsh tied Nolan's mark with three straight division championships. And for the record, that would have been my guess, Bill Walsh. Dick Nolan's NFC West champions made two straight NFC championship games. In fact, they were the first two NFC championship games ever held. That for the 1970 and 1971 seasons. They lost both of those games to the Dallas Cowboys. In 1972, the 49ers played the Cowboys again in the playoffs, this time in a divisional round game that's somewhat famous as San Francisco had a 21-3 lead in the second quarter and a 28-13 lead going into the fourth quarter at home before Roger Staubach rallied the Cowboys with 17 fourth quarter points to win. 
And that was after the 49ers had beaten the Cowboys in Dallas 31 to 10 during the 1972 regular season. Yeah, we had some good teams and we always come up against those guys from Dallas, Texas, <laughs> give us problems. But hey, we got to play in some championship games and almost made it to the Super Bowl, but not quite. And they were a good team. They had a lot of good players and we just didn't make the right choices or run the ball right or make the right tackle or something. But we had fun doing it. Dave Wilcox retired from the game after the 1974 season. He told me that his knee doctor suggested that it was time to move on. Dave also shared with me that he had previously played through an entire season with torn cartilage in his knee after a preseason injury. Eventually, it was time to move on from football. Wilcox went out with a bang, however. In the fourth quarter of his final NFL game, he intercepted a pass against the New Orleans Saints and charged his way into the end zone for a touchdown. A fantastic ending to a career that landed him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Dave Wilcox was part of the 2000 class which included two more San Francisco legends, Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott. Being around the Hall of Famers and in that same group is just unreal. You know, there's some fantastic people and players. And to be selected to do that, uh, I mean, things have got to fall just right. Something that's pretty amazing to think about and it's one of the great things about pro sports in America is that there was a time, 1958 to be exact, that a young Dave Wilcox watched the NFL championship game on the first television set that his family ever owned. He was growing up in a small town in Oregon watching Johnny Unitas rally the Colts to victory. And then fewer than 10 years later, Wilcox was actually playing in the NFL and made his first career interception off of Unitas. Later, Wilcox joined Johnny Unitas in the Hall of Fame. What's also really neat is that Dave's brother played in the 1960 NFL Championship game just a couple of years after the family gathered around the TV to watch the 1958 game. Dave also told me that he listened to Yankee games on the radio as a kid and wound up playing NFL games in Yankee Stadium, where he'd visit Monument Park before the game. He played against the Detroit Lions at Tiger Stadium with memories of listening to the national broadcast of the Lions Thanksgiving games on the radio. And later, Dave was part of a football camp that included Dan Fouts and Lynn Swan. And that's not even the end of the story as Dave's son Josh played for the New Orleans Saints. Dave Wilcox says that he's thankful for his football career and that he is a firm believer in team sports. To get to do all the things I got to do and stuff without football would have been kind of hard. And there again, you know, you, the people you meet and the friends you have and all that, what, a, what an incredible year. And when, I, when my kids were growing up, the only thing I said, you're going to play team sports. You know, you can play golf if you want to or whatever, but you're going to play team sports. And I just think that helps you in the time you're growing up. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. 
Special thanks to Dave Wilcox for interviewing for The Game Before the Money. Future episodes of The Game Before the Money will feature Denver Broncos legend Lionel Taylor and 1982 NFL MVP Mark Mosley. Dave Wilcox also shared some other great stories that I will bring to the podcast in the future. You can subscribe to the Game Before the Money podcast on your favorite podcast app or listen to episodes at thegamebeforethemoney.com, which also includes a lot of football history articles that you're sure to enjoy. Transcriptions of some podcast episodes are also available at thegamebeforethemoney.com. Transcriptions are powered by our transcription partner, Sonix. That's S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonix.ai to learn more about their automated transcription services. 